I got to be honest with you. I'm actually surprised we're here. That's Pope. I'm Farwell. Hi. Hi. Why are you surprised? Well, because we you made it 13 games in the season and you're still not sick and tired of me? I thought it was the other way around. I it thought you game, haven't killed me yet. Yeah, it was game two before your first flip out. But we'll, anyway, we'll digress. Was it game two I flipped out? I game think it was two. game four. No, it was game two because I okay. remember saying you'd make it 20 minutes. And then a friend and I had a joke that you made it to the second game, which is pretty good. I just thought that having been in Oshawa this past weekend, that you may still be either cowering at the stairs to the catwalk, stuck in the press box mm-hmm. that the catwalk leads to, <laughs> Or plunged to your death over yeah. center ice. I mean, w- one of those options was possible. Right. Well, if it was one of the games from the weekend that we had in Oshawa, I probably just would have jumped over. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what? It was a pretty good broadcast. So I was okay with it. But you know what? You and just about everybody built up the Oshawa catwalk. And it was my first time in Oshawa. I think before we started doing this, I think there's only three rinks left that I haven't been to. Okay. And Oshawa was one of them. And it's not that bad. I got to be honest with you. I was not... Scared at all, and I don't do heights. I don't do heights. I don't do catwalks. I hate them. But this one wasn't that bad because your eyesight to the ice isn't very good. You, like you, if, as long as you look down directly at your feet, you can't see through what you're walking on. First Ontario, first uh, yeah, right. first Ontario Center. Cops Coliseum. It uh, the Falk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Hamilton. Now that's just dumb. Right. I I don't know who you're doing games with that or at uh, Cops this year, but I'm not going. You are going. But that catwalk is nasty. And it's relatively new with the Bulldogs, of course, just back into the league. So And that arena is old. That. It is. I don't trust that. I don't trust the construction, and you can see right through the grates. But I don't you, like it. You get to go to the Bill Stirrup broadcast booth, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. The, 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 no. funny, the funny part about Oshawa, when what was then called General Motors Center was built, and it's a nice arena, nice barn. It's great. Modern, right? I said to you during the broadcast, I said, yeah. this is a really nice arena, except... So they're showing it off, the, the designers, the builders, the city, to... When it was first built. When it was first yeah. built. Showing it off to the media, which is all great. It's got lots to show off. Yeah. We're very proud of this building, and so we should be. And suddenly one of the people on the tour <laughs> in the media says, um, hi, us? Where do we sit? Where's the press box? And all of a sudden... Oh, all of that thing. So what they had to do was figure it out. And what they ended up doing was suspending a press box of sorts from the rafters after the fact, not in the original design plan. And you know what? It's, it's in a great sight line of the ice. It's in a great spot, but even like the, like they didn't really try to spice it up any, like the walls are painted like a weird yellow. There's tape marks all over the wall. It, it looks like it was just like, well, it literally was thrown together at the last minute. But you think they'd spruce it up a little, make it a little nicer than it is right now. My least but favorite part, aside from the catwalk that you must walk across, punch your key code in the door to get to the top and away you go in an area where clearly you should not be walking. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other story. You're on an island. Now, you know me, not the strongest bladder. Mm-hmm. So I have to monitor my coffee intake before a game in the schwa because three periods can be an awfully long time. My least favorite part is that it's fly, five flights of stairs. <laughs> you have a long d- way to go for Down post-game. to go to post-game and back up. <laughs> like, it's just not that, you know, I'm out of, well, I'm out of shape. Yes, I mention that all the time. But it's just a long way. Like, you know, I got down there and coach is waiting for me, basically. Of course. So that gives you a sense. But truly. Great rink. Great barn. Good, good view. Broadcast that, location is nice. And just because of the way things worked, we got a sneak peek sort of at the uh, Oshawa General's dressing room. <laughs> yes, we did. And uh, you know what? I said to, the, I said to the, one of the training staff, I said, I love what you guys have done with the walls in here. <laughs> I felt like I belonged on HGTV, but they had uh, murals of the Memorial Cup winners, and they had the numbers that were retired up above the door entrance to the actual uh, area where the players get dressed. So you talk about Oshawa. And the Memorial Cup 2015, of course, we all remember that, Mm -hmm. especially because it was an Eastern team winning not only the OHL, but then going on to win the Memorial Cup. And former kitchen ranger Brent Peterson. Great point. Arthur Boy. Mm -hmm. What's up, Petey? Hope he's still listening. He he loves checking out the podcast, I think. I think he does, actually, because he was also at a golf tournament. My friends run for one of our friends who passed away, Tyler Lopers, uh, Petey's friends of friends, and he was at the golf tournament this year. There you go. Yeah. But even before that 2015 Memorial Cup, the Oshawa Generals were involved in what 
many regard, and I am among those many, as the best Memorial Cup championship in the history of the Memorial Cup. If not that, certainly the Memorial Cup championship that put major junior hockey on the map in Canada. I only know what people tell me because I didn't get to watch it. Um, Just sheer age. But uh, I only know what people say, and I can't can't argue because that's what everybody says. It's not really much of an argument. It is one of the greatest Memorial Cups ever. That was right in my wheelhouse as a fan. I was late teens, aging myself here, but big fan. Obviously, growing up in Kitchener, I followed the Ontario Hockey League. Mm -hmm. was at the odd almost every Friday night. Anyway, uh, we are going to speak with, just a little later in this podcast, uh, a member a player who competed in that 1990 Memorial Cup. Not just competed, was a large part of that game. Starring role. Starring role. Uh, almost like a co-star, I would say co-star. If there, was a, if there was a main star, this person was probably the second star. Widely regarded at the time as one of the best players at his position in all of Canada. Went on to play 12 years of pro hockey. So that is a conversation, and I can't wait to hear the stories. I oh, can't it's wait. awesome. Yeah. It's uh, awesome. I, to, to have him on is, is a treat. It, it is. It is. And, and he's going to be on in just a sec. But also, since we like to take you on the road with us on this uh, podcast, while we were in Oshawa uh, on the weekend, Tony Tanty's number 22 was raised... To the rafters at the TCC, the Tributes Communities, the Tribute Community Center. Twenty-two Tony Tanty. I like it. Remember the, the totality of Tanties that were on the ice for warm-up? Because yes. every Oshawa general Everyone. wore it was, number 22. It was pretty cool to see. And a player that I don't recall that well because I didn't get to watch him play. But obviously setting the OHL rookie record for goals. Uh, still owns it. Yeah. Some guy named Gretzky. Oh, he Sorry. beat that? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah 81 goals yeah. in his rookie season. 81. Only Ernie Godden that year of the Windsor Spitfires with 87 had more. And he joined a list of five generals in the rafters that are or will be probably Hall of Famers. John Shannon of uh, Sportsnet emceed the event when Tony's uh, banner was raised. David Branch, OHL commissioner, CHL president, booed. You got to love it. Eh? You got to love being the commissioner. Oh, but he I, spoke for a little bit. And I honestly think he's one of the best commissioners in all of sport. Yeah, he'll, he will I be do. a guest. He will be a guest. Mr. Branch, are you listening on this podcast? I was going to say, you'll have to pull the connections on that one. We'll make it happen. I got the connections on this one. But, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. thank you for that. I got the connections on this one. All right, before we get to that guest who had the co-starring role in that Memorial Cup and then 12 years pro, uh, Tony Tanti and the number raised to the rafters. In Oshawa. When I got drafted to Oshawa, it was such an incredible time in my life, and it was the perfect place for me to be drafted. I didn't know too much about the generals. I knew there was a lot of history. Came to training camp, and it was we had a lot of young players. We had my roommate, Norm Schmidt, who we had a lot of fun back then. There was Joe Sorella, Dave Anderchuk, Dale DeGray, Peter Sidorkowicz. And it was one of those years that we were picked for last place in every magazine, the hockey news. And it was just incredible how we all came together. I think we finished third that year. But it was, uh, it was just so much fun. And I was not a fighter. But to survive in those days, you really had to learn pretty quick. I, all I remember is most of my penalty minutes were five-on-five five brawls or, or warm-up brawls or whatever they were back then. <laughs> but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I had a centerman in Mitch Lamaru. I had a winger in Barry Tobobinong. And we just clicked from day one. And without them, I couldn't have done what I did do. So there we are. Tony Tanti's banner going up to the rafters at the Tribute Community Center. Still can't get used to that in Oshawa. Anyway, and you look at the other banners up there, Popper, and, and what do we got? We got, uh, we got some guy named Orr. Yeah. <laughs> we have Red Tilson. Red Tilson, Mark Savard. Mark Savard. We have uh, John Tavares. John Tavares, now Tanti. 
And, and there's another one in there. Right. Who was that other good player? Can't for remember. Them? I think I, early '90s. He's big. '90. <laughs> yeah, large. Did he start in '88? No, that's just the number no, he wore. Yeah, that would be yeah. Eric Lindros. And Sorry to say that name in the presence of our guests now. Which the light bulb goes off, and we're like, wait a minute, Eric Lindros played in what is still considered by many the greatest Memorial Cup in history, and it, I say that without fear. I'll stand my ground yeah. on that debate. And to about 23-plus brass as the worst Memorial Cup maybe ever. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that Memorial Cup in 1990 featured the Oshawa Generals and the Kitchener Rangers and the goaltender for the Kitchener Rangers that season. And that Memorial Cup was none other than my good friend, broadcast partner, Mike Torquia, who joins us on the podcast. Torch! Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's oh. always a pleasure, and uh, it's been fun listening to you guys this year. boy. This podcast just got a lot better. It just did. It just did. It, now, we were, when I called you up for this, you're like, okay, we can talk about the Memorial Cup because you're good about that. But then you said, hang on, before even that, Tony Tanti means something to you. Yeah, you know what? It's funny that you guys mentioned that because uh, Tony Tanti was a reason I wanted to play in the OHL. This is The first game I ever saw was Oshawa against Medicine Hat in the Memorial Cup at the old Oshawa Arena. And... It's funny story because uh, Tony Tanti, his uncle, uh, we called him Z. His name was Spiro. Uh, he called. He was uh, my coach, minor Adam and Adam, when I was really young and just starting to play in the old MTHL, the GTHL now. And he was my coach, and uh, you know we got to know the family real well. We used to hang out with them on the weekends. Uh, his parents became really good friends. Like uh, Tony's parents became really good friends with my parents, and you know we actually started hanging out. Where to the point where. I have pictures of Tony Tanny in my backyard playing <laughs> ball hockey with us. Come on. And, and we would sit there, and we were, I have my road hockey pads made out of old old pillows or something yeah. like that. Sears uh, catalogs. No, actually, it was, you know what it was? We used to take uh, cushions from old coaches people used to throw yes. out, cut the toe out, and put straps through it, and we had built-in pads with these cushions. Wow. So I had a pair of those on, and I'm wearing his Vancouver Canucks jacket at the time. And, uh, you know, he was uh, just drafted by Vancouver. He played in Oshawa the year before. And those were the first games I went to see, and or a few years before he was in Oshawa. And that was the first OHL game I went to see. And, uh, you know, there was a guy named Trevor Linden playing for the <laughs> oh, yeah. for <laughs> okay. other team there. But, <laughs> you know, it was it was one of those memories, and they had those bad Cooperall pants on. Yep. And, you know, it was one of those memories, and I was like, I want to play in this. And Tony Tanny was one of the reasons I wanted to play in the OHL. Amazing. I Absolutely. think that is just wild. Yeah. In in discussing how we were gonna do this podcast and whatnot and all of a sudden, you know, the, the light bulb goes off for Torch, and then he comes up with a to- uh, Tony Tanti story. I think that's just, it's typical Torch. How many people say <laughs> like Tony Tanti? a story Tanti, about everyone. Tony Tanti was in my backyard, and I have the pictures to <laughs> right. prove it, right? I was wearing his Vancouver Canucks <laughs> jacket. Uh, it's funny because uh, we became such good friends with the family. I remember watching my first horror movie at their house. Uh, Tony's brother was JoJo, and we used to just make la- I mean, we used to make fun of him. He was our trainer, just the nicest guy in the world. No hockey talent at all, but absolute, <laughs> absolute nicest guy you'll ever meet. Hyper as all heck, and he'd just walk around and be himself. But uh, Tony was a very quiet, reserved guy, but super nice guy. And, you know, I, I was kind of wishing I was there to be there f- for that night on uh, Sunday. You, you on Saturday. You mentioned you wore his Vancouver Canucks jacket. Was that the one with the old uh, old school V? It was it was yellow with the yeah. orange and black stripes oh, and the old V on it. Amazing. I actually have the picture. I should bring it in for you guys. You guys would get a kick out of it. <laughs> That's amazing. He still looks the same now as he, he did does. back then. Oh my it's gosh, right? Looking him at the, so you, at the ring. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's still chubby kid yeah. from the Toronto. Eh? <laughs> so about ten years after that, you see Tony Tanti. You're like, I want to be in the OHL, and there you are in net. For the Kitchener Rangers, I mean, and and you you made that Memorial Cup second year, right? Uh, yep, yeah, yeah. I was, I was seventeen. So yeah. it, it comes, it came pretty quick. Twenty five wins it, that year, I think. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those years that was really interesting. Uh, the the year started off, it was okay, and then we traded for a goalie, uh, Dave Schill, a local kid. We picked him up, and uh, you know, Joe was trying to push me to do things and do other things, and uh, you know. He, Everyone was always on me about my weight. So we went up north one weekend, and uh, Joe sat me out. He goes, uh, you're going to get in shape or you're not going to play. Well, they went up north, and they went up to Sudbury and lost 10-6. 
I went up to Sue and lost 9-5. I was back in net the following Friday. <laughs> Same shape I was in the Friday before they left. So it was, it was quite funny. But from that point on, I actually played going into the Memorial Cup and playoffs and regular season. I believe I played 52 straight games. Good grief. So I, I played every game from that point on. Uh, to the point where our other goalie quit. <laughs> you know what? It's it's a sad thing because I really like Schiller, but if you look at all the team pictures around the memorial around the auditorium, that is the only team picture with one goalie in it. And that was and you. he quit on picture day. Wow, he quit <laughs> on picture <laughs> day. <laughs> well, going looking back at that, I mean, you mentioned that people always got on you about your weight. Were you ever just like, do you ever get sick and tired of just being like, I stopped the puck? Like, I mean, what else What else do you want? Whether Who cares what kind of body type I had? Back then, it really wasn't the same type of league that it is now. No, and like I said, the game's totally different now, and uh, these guys are committed to what they do. But you know what? That was that was one of the things I always liked to use. And, and it was uh, people always said, well, you got to do this, you got to do that. And uh, I have some other interesting stories with uh, Craig Button's dad, Jack Button, when I met with him with Washington b- before the draft. But We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that <laughs> some other time. And, you know, he goes, I don't care what you do. He goes, you stop pucks. That's all that matters to me. And, and it was true. And that's what most people treated it like. But, uh, you know, uh, for a guy who was out of shape all the time, I played. I got to play 12 years of pro hockey, got to play in the NHL, and I got to do things a lot of people don't get a chance to do. And, you know, whether it was – I was out of shape or not or what it was and my body type. But, you know, it was kind of my goal to prove people wrong all the time. And yeah. that's what I kind of liked about it. Let's, well, I, there's so much to talk about with just the <laughs> Memorial Cup. But while we're on it and we're talking about goaltenders and body type, Chris and I are outside the general's dressing room on Saturday night waiting for our pregame interview. <laughs> and they've got painted on the wall of the room the Memorial, Memorial Cup, Cup team. Freddie Brathwaite was tiny. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he was, was he tiny. Looked, and in the picture, they have him next to this towering defenseman. I don't know who it was. Paul Hagen. <laughs> Paul yeah. Hagen, of course. Paul, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's the picture. I've been in that dressing <laughs> yeah. room. My son's yeah. with Oshawa. Right. So of course. I've been through the dressing room tour and everything else. And that's just Mike and I's laughter at your unbelievable uncanniness to be able to yeah, he just, recollect whatever, anything. He and, rattled off the scores through Sudbury yeah, exactly, right? and Sault Ste. Marie yeah. in 1989-90. So just, yeah. Just, but, just how casual you do it. It's just like, well, of course, of course. How do you not know that? But Freddie was a pretty tiny like guy. Oh, tiny. Like, He's yeah. still tiny. 100 pounds. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Freddie and I, uh, we go back, and there's so many ties to that Memorial Cup. Uh, we talk about that Memorial Cup. Eric Lindros and I played minor hockey together in Toronto. So we were on the same team. Myself, Lindros, and Drake Berhowski, we went to the Pee Wee Tournament in Quebec uh, together. Mike Kennedy was also on that team. We had a very good hockey club. How'd you lose? Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, we didn't win. <laughs> but uh, we went to, the, we went to uh, the Quebec Tournament together. We had a blast together. Uh, you know, I remember Lindros inviting us over to his house Saturday mornings. We used to practice 7 a.m. up at Upper Canada College, the absolute coldest rink you've ever been in in your life. We used to go from there right to Eric's backyard, and his dad would put us through drills in the backyard at the Lindros house, and we'd sit there, have lunch, and go back on the ice, and then go home sometime in the evening. And you know, but you know, I have so many ties. Uh, Freddie Brathwaite was another guy who I got to know really well when we were younger. We started playing hockey together or against each other when we were about nine or ten years old, and he's from the Ottawa area, and we always had this rivalry and Freddie always used to laugh because I could always shoot the puck and Freddie goes he goes you were the reason I wanted to learn how to shoot the puck <laughs> and Freddie became a really good puck handler too so you know like I have a lot of ties to that team and guys I ended up playing with afterwards too and it, it's so funny but everyone always wants to talk about that Memorial Cup game I, I just got to touch on I'm going to go back a little further than that Memorial Cup game you mentioned the Tony Tanti thing and goaltending, obviously, but what made you decide to become a goaltender? <laughs> really, uh, there was nothing to it. One of our goalies didn't show up one day. We were playing, uh, I was playing House League in Toronto for the Toronto Olympics, probably about seven years old, and our goalie doesn't show up. So uh, they go, You want to try net? I said, Sure. So <laughs> why not? I'll go in there. And, you know, we go out there and we play at a I think it was uh, Burt Robinson we played, and it's hilarious because I remember that. But it was my first game ever, 
as a goalie, and I got a shutout. We won 4 nothing, and it was just, I was like, this is all right. I like this, and, you know, I don't have to skate. I'm a lazy kid, so I can stay in the net and just <laughs> hang out. But, you know, I really enjoyed it. Like, uh, I enjoyed being the last guy back there and having pe- people depend on you to to do what you have to do. And I think that that's what I loved about the position. You know, and a lot of people say it's the most un gratifying position i think it's the most gratifying position to be back there and be able to help your team sometimes it's it's not on you like you're not going to win games for them all the time but you know there's certain points in a game where a goaltender can really change a game and you know i like being that guy and you know Scoring goals didn't mean anything to me, and you know I even did that later on. I was going to say you did. It's one of your specialties. <laughs> so, but you know it was uh, it was one of those things. I really enjoyed the position, and and you know kind of being back there by yourself, but also being able to watch the game as it happened in front of you. You know, you kind of become a student of the game when you play goal because you get to see everything happen in front of you, and you actually. You know, even my broadcasting days with Mike, I used to watch the game differently than most people do. I don't follow the puck. I kind of watch as things progress and how things happen in front of you that I really enjoyed the game for that, and I still enjoy the game watching it that way. Just jumping on that, I feel the same way. Michael mentioned the player's name who got the shot on goal, and I'm not even watching that. I I have no idea who that forward was or whatever when the goalie made the save. I'm like, I was watching the play behind it and how it developed and whatnot, and very similar. Just a quick story about myself. When I why I wanted to play goalie was because I was sick of my team losing and I was on the bench yeah, a, that a helped. lot. Yeah, it didn't <laughs> help. But at least then I had control over it, right? Like I, I, was, I needed that control and very similar to what you're saying. You just wanted to be that guy. Okay, we're, we're going to get to the Memorial Cup, I swear, because it's such a great story. The whole that, that Honestly, I, I stand by best in history. But mm-hmm. well, Torch? You, you, you mentioned the best in history, but I was actually listening to an interview with Paul Romanuk and someone said, what's the greatest game you ever called? And he said, the 1990 Memorial Cup Finals from Hamilton. And that was, you know, and a lot of people talk about that Memorial Cup because it was really the first year that Memorial Cup went mainstream. It was covered. Exactly. It was covered fully. Every game was on TV. And then you had the rivalry between two teams that only played each other twice a year that ended up playing seven times in, in, the, final, in uh, the finals of the OHL. And then you see each other in the round robin overtime game. You see each other in the final, another double overtime game. And it was one of those rivalries that just kind of developed out of nowhere. But you couldn't have had you, junior hockey, major junior hockey in this country, could not have asked for a better showcase. You're at what was then called Cops Coliseum, so the venue was massive, and the and the performance, quite frankly, that the Kitchener Rangers and Oshawa Generals put on. It just put put junior hockey on the map. It absolutely did, and I'm not surprised to hear Romanuk say that. And I I want to come back to, it, but because I'm I've had the privilege of working with you for seven seasons in different parts, five years together on Rogers TV, couple years together on the road. When you mentioned becoming a goalie, your first game getting that shutout, it reminds me, and I want you to tell the story because I've heard it, but I want I want it to be shared of your first NHL game at Chicago. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It was it was funny because we played. Uh, I got called up on the Friday, and we had just played in Chicago on Wednesday in in the minors. So we had played. So you're with Kalamazoo. I was right? with Kalamazoo, yeah. and they had sent a guy down. His name was Gord Donnelly. So Gord Donnelly had come down, and he was on a conditioning stint. He had been hurt in Dallas, so he came down, and uh, we were in Chicago Chicago together. And Gord Donnelly, honest to God, one of the funniest guys, but also one of the scariest men I've ever met in my life. Just a beast of a man, but absolute nicest, most soft-spoken guy off the ice. So we go into Chicago, play the Wolves, and we win 2-1, and Gord Donnelly scores the winning goal. Gord Donnelly wasn't known for scoring goals. So we get called up. uh, So this was a Wednesday. Get called up on, I believe it was a Thursday, go back up Friday. We played in Detroit Saturday afternoon, and... uh, or Saturday night, didn't play. And then we went to Chicago and we had the first Sunday afternoon game. Well, it was a 2 o'clock game, and uh, it was the first game Fox broadcast. With the, with the, the Fox the, track puck. Well, it was before, before the that, Fox yeah. track puck. It was probably one of the first games they ever did on Fox. Like, that's when this was a strike year. So okay. uh, we go in there, and we're sitting at breakfast, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm not playing today, whatever, and come in and... Bob Ganey, you know, we got to do this better. We got to do this better. He goes over the whole meeting and everything else, and he goes, line up for tonight. These guys are out, and uh, Torch, you're going to start. And he walked out of the room, and I'm like, 
holy crap. He goes, I, I got to be. And this was like at 10 o'clock, and the game's at 2 in the afternoon. Had absolutely zero time to process. My first thought was, get upstairs, get ready, get to the rink, go get your stuff ready. And, you know, in such a haste to get to the rink, jump in a cab in Chicago, and I look down, I got no socks on, got my suit on, and I'm like, holy crap, I got to go play. And, you know, this is the first year they opened up the United Center, and uh, I had played in the old Chicago Stadium the year before, but it was a preseason game. So you don't get the quite the effect, but it was pretty awesome. But go in and play in the United Center, and it's like you look down and, I look down and I look at Chicago's lineup and I'm looking down and I see starting goal, Ed Belfort, Jeremy Roenick, Gary Suter, Chris Chelios, Joe Murphy. I'm sitting there going, it's going to be a long night here. (laughs) We're in for one. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they had a pretty good team, Tony Amonti. And uh, it was was scary, but it was so much fun. And we ended up uh, winning the game 2-1. Same score we had won in Chicago on Wednesday. And who scored the winning goal? Cord Donnelly scores the winning goal in a 2-1 game. Probably only played three shifts the whole game. Scores the winning goal, and he comes up to me as we're come, – comes up and everyone's huddling after the game comes over. He's the last guy up to me, and he goes, we own this town. <laughs> and I just started laughing. So, Tell me about the one that beat you. You know what? It was probably the worst shot I faced in the game. So – it was a. It was basically a one-on-two. Joe Murphy cuts across, cuts comes down the blue line, cuts to the middle, and the puck rolls on him, and he lets a wrister go, and it just kind of flutters end over end. And I totally overplayed it, and it goes off the inside of my pad and goes five hole. And other than that, I think I stopped like twenty-nine or thirty shots, and we won two-one. Uh, I was first star, and. Got to listen to Denny Potvan carve me on the uh, post-game show. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Oh, you, the usual. Oh, you're a pretty chunky guy. Uh, how do you move around? <laughs> the usual stuff, yeah. you know, stuff you kind of get used to. And uh, 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 But at least he said it to your face. Well, yeah, he said it during the broadcast, yeah. too, when I watched the game back eventually. But, uh, you know, it was uh, one of those moments that you'll never forget. Like, I can almost recount that game uh, minute for minute and uh, – remember how it went that was selfish on my part because torch and i had this conversation driving home from windsor or in a hotel room on the road one or the other and i just i love the recall and i i can't i can only imagine i don't i can only hear it so that's why i wanted to get that in here but anyway i'm gonna pull up my own story that i heard from torch that i absolutely love <laughs> we are gonna get to the memorial <laughs> okay, we? okay we got all it's a podcast we got all the time in the world Good point. mike torquia 12 yeah. years pro nhl um you told me once about a dinner that you went to Oh, in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in the game, and uh, after the game, didn't play that night. We were playing against Gretzky in L.A., and, you know, Russ Courtnell, and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, ah, absolutely nothing. He goes, going out for dinner. You want to come? Sure. Hop in and head to the restaurant and pull up to the table, and there's Gretzky, Janet Jones, and... The, the funny part was, I think Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn were there. Of course with, they were. Why, why wouldn't they be? No, they're, they're huge fans <laughs> oh, know, of the LA no, no, Kings. I know. And they were there it's every game. It's just all surreal for and us mortals, they, they, yeah. they, they all became really good friends while down there. But I think the highlight for me was the other guy who was there. And it was Robert Shapiro, who was OJ's lawyer during the OJ trial. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat there and quizzed him for like an hour on the OJ trial. <laughs> And it was absolutely hilarious because he just sat there and just laughed. And he answered all my questions very forthcoming. Obviously, he didn't say too much. But, uh, you know, it was one of those ones you remember. I remember I had dinner with Gretzky. Yeah, but I had dinner with Robert Shapiro during the OJ trial. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because my first meeting with Gretzky, I was really young. And his brother and I are the same age. And Brent and I played hockey against each other growing up. So I got to know Brent really well. And Brent's a OPP officer down at Brantford. Great guy. And uh, we we talk about that story once in a while, and he just laughs. He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, I met Shapiro, too. He's kind of a donkey. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we had a blast. You know, it was uh, a lot of fun. And, you know, you got to do a lot of things that, you know, a lot of people don't get a chance to experience. And, you know, my time wasn't long in the NHL, but it was uh, it was memorable, that's for sure. Okay. Let's talk about that 1990 Memorial Cup. We've already kind of touched on why it was and perhaps still is as significant uh, as it was. Uh, 
Hamilton has to bow out as the host city because what did what did the Dukes get that year? Like three wins, three no, wins, yeah. three wins. So there you go, like the London Knights of uh, before Dale Hunter's tenure. <laughs> Just throw that in there. Uh, anyway, so they they're not qualified, obviously, to play host. They no automatic berth. They get removed, and uh, and Oshawa and Kitchener uh, play their way in during a seven game OHL final. Uh, remarkable stuff. Yeah, you know what? Everyone remembers that, but that year was so bizarre. Like, we talk about Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton, um, my goalie partner the year before was Gus Morshauser, who you call the greatest Ranger goalie ever. I remember that. I do, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I might do that on purpose. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the late Gus Morshauser, God rest his soul, because he left us last year. But uh, awesome guy to be around. But Joe was actually doing him a favor that year by trading him to Hamilton and so he could play in the Memorial Cup that year, them being the host. And they were so bad that he didn't even get a chance to do that. And you kind of felt bad for him. And then we uh, we had that. And then the Western Conference Finals, our, our division finals, because it wasn't East and West back then. It's the old M's. Yeah, it was the old yeah. M's in Layden or whatever yeah. it was. And, and uh, we ended up playing Niagara Falls in the finals to, for the chance to go to that. And I think we won four games to one, but it was that fifth and deciding game. And, we had played, uh, and they had a heck of a team, uh, Brad May, Keith Primo, and uh, and company, Scotty Pearson there. And Niagara Falls had a heck of a team, and we were playing them in the finals, and we got to the point where the game was getting out of control, and someone called in a bomb threat during that last game in Kitchener. Come on. So I remember being out in the parking lot, and the building was packed, being out in the parking lot, and we're out there, and all we were allowed to take off was our skates, and go outside. So we're all sitting outside in our gear, and there's all these fans out there cheering, and no one's leaving, even though there's a bomb threat in the arena. So eventually they came in, cleared the arena, we went back in and finished the game and uh, got a chance to go to the Memorial Cup. But it was one of those years that was kind of really bizarre and kind of wacky, but uh, a lot of things happened that year. That is wild. And yeah. says a lot about the, the Rangers nation that they're willing to just hang out outside during a bomb threat. <laughs> there you well, go. we got to see the team win. Absolutely. Um, as the clock was ticking down, what was going through your mind? Uh, which clock are you talking about? During the Memorial yeah. Cup? Yeah, Memorial Cup. During the Memorial Cup, it was one of those uh, experiences where you don't really uh, understand it fully until you're out of it, until you're until the moment passes you by, like when you're there, it's just another game. You want to play, you want to win. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, you know, it felt like another OHL game and an important game, but you know, it was Oshawa. It was Oshawa twice. Uh, you know, when you look around that Memorial cup, there were so many good, like so many good players that went on to play in the, in the NHL from that Memorial cup. If, if you look at the two teams that didn't qualify, we beat Laval in the semifinals who had Marty LaPointe, Gino Ojek, Sandy McCarthy, uh, very good hockey club there. But the real surprise was the favorites. Like, there was only four teams in the Memorial Cup, and we went in ranked fifth or sixth in the nation. So <laughs> uh, that tells you where we were thought of. But the number one team that year was Kamloops, and uh, they had uh first-rounder from the Islanders, Dave Chizowski, Lenny Berry, who is, uh, went on to play with the Florida Panthers, uh, Daryl Sador, Scott Niedermeyer, uh, they had a heck of a hockey club. Corey Hirsch was their goalie. And, uh, you know, they kind of were the the darlings of the tournament before, and we had to play them the first game. And I think we beat them 7-6 to six or 6-5, to five, and they had a high-power offense. But we kind of built off that win and carried that forward and ended up uh, really turning things on after that game. We had a really good game against them. Then we beat Laval, I think it was 5-2 or 5-3 in the next game. And then we had the loss against Oshawa in the round robin for the automatic berth to the finals. And that also was an overtime loss. Um, but uh, it was one of those tournaments where you kind of went through it. But there was so many other things going on and so many distractions. And you kind of like, you know, we were in a hotel by ourselves out in the middle of nowhere, Joe put us. And it was probably <laughs> the best thing. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, it was one of those things where it was such a good bonding experience for our group and our team that, uh, you know, is probably the closest group I played with here in Kitchener in my four years. Still in contact with a lot of the... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, when you look at that team uh, and uh, where they're at, you know, you get a chance. uh, You know, Gilbert Dion's my brother-in-law now. We we married sisters, but 
um, you look around that room and all the guys in that room, you know, Jason York called me this summer before his son signed here in, uh, in uh, Kitchener and talked to me about, you know, should he sign there? I go, you know what, Yorkie? I go, you won't get a better organization to play for. You won't get a better opportunity for a kid. And uh, we talked about it. He had also just bought the team out in Ottawa, the Tier 2 team that he is now running out there. And we were just chatting about lots of different things. So, you know, just the the memories and um, the people that you got in contact with and the people that you uh, became family with. You know, it's funny. And I'm going to go back to another story I got to experience while working with Torch. First year together on radio, so we're traveling. You're talking about these relationships, of course, with your former teammates in Kitchener. We're in North Bay. This is our second game together on the radio, and you run into Corey Banica at the North Bay Arena, and you're hugging him like a brother. I'm like, wait a minute. This is Corey Banica, who played for the Oshawa Generals, who beat you in that Memorial Cup. Now, I've only <laughs> dreamed of playing at the level you played at, Torch, but I'm like, I'd still be pissed off about this. <laughs> but you guys were like old friends. I still, of course, see Corey now. Thanks to you, I have that uh, friendship with him at the rink. As he, he's a scout now for St. Louis. And But you have relationships and friendships from th- those teams, plural, or, or pro- probably your entire career. But I, I'm surprised that you can still make nice with a guy that beat you in the Memorial Cup. And you know what? It's so funny because one of my really good friends uh, who... I ended up playing over in Europe with was Joe Basillo, who was also on that team. You know, and you look at it, Jared Scaldi, every time we walked into that room in Guelph, he was very welcoming and come on in. And I used to sit in that office with them before games and sit with him and Todd Harvey, who I played with in Dallas, and we'd sit there and chat and laugh and, and you know, like nothing happened. But, you know, I also got a chance to play with guys like Dale Craigwell and all these guys over the years. And, you know, it's funny, but it's probably one of those games that, I don't think I've ever talked to any of them about that game. Other people always want to mention it. But the hockey world is so small and so, you know, you become, it's such a brotherhood. Like, you don't even realize it until you're out of it. And I think that's the one thing you miss the most when you're done playing is is being around the guys and that brotherhood you've developed over the years with them. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things that uh, you get into the into the moment and, I don't think Dale Craigwell and I played together for two years, and I don't think we ever talked about that game once. And it's one of those things that it just happened. It's almost like a level of respect. You know that sure. you're going to be on the other end sometime. You don't want someone up, someone bringing it up. Is that, oh, what, is that I, what you think? I don't. I don't even know. I think. I think the only guy I've ever talked to about it is Freddie. And Freddie and I have been friends since we were ten years old. And uh, we were sitting there chatting one day, and it was at the. Uh, OHL Cup in Toronto, and he was he was working with Hockey Canada at the time, so he'd come to scout for the under-17, and uh, we were chatting. Uh, he was asking me about my son and everything else, and uh, uh, someone else came up and started talking about it. And, of course, I think it might have even been Warren Reichel uh, stirring <laughs> the pot. So it might have been Warren Reichel. But uh, we were just chatting, and, and, that's, and that's when the only conversation we've ever had about it started. And... Uh, you know, but uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for those guys, and uh, you know, I think the respect is mutual between the two teams. Double overtime, game seven of the final, Oshawa wins. Double overtime, if I'm not mistaken, of that Memorial Cup final. And you you said earlier, Torch, you were just thinking about it, like as the clock was winding down and whatnot. It's just another OHL game. At any point, I mean, when that when it went into overtime, as the goaltender. What's going through your mind? Is there any pre- what, what kind of pressure are you feeling? You know what? I don't know. I think you're just sitting there, and we had our chances too. I remember uh, Jason Firth had a great chance with an open net, and Freddie came over, made a great save on him. We had uh, another puck squirted over to the one side, and and I've never even watched the video of the game. But I was going to ask that later. I didn't I've, think I've, you had. I've yeah. never even watched the video, but uh, there's this puck squirted over, and I believe it was rival Fulham who. Uh, the puck just kind of jumped over his stick as he had a chance at the empty net. Uh, Joey St. Aubin missed another chance. And we had we had our chances, and, you know, so did they. I think they ended up with 48 or 49 or 50 shots in the game. But uh, uh, it was one of those games where you kind of, the moments were so huge, and, and the crowd, and you remember playing, like, I think our smallest crowd was the game we played uh, Laval in that tournament, and there was probably about nine or 10,000 there. Wow. And it was the smallest crowd we had in that tournament. 
and uh, the crowds were unbelievable. And you know, and and if if you talk to the people on the streets, there's about thirty thousand people who were at that game. So <laughs> it was uh, it was it was really surreal. It was, and you know, but it, the moment doesn't hit you till after. And, and I remember, I remember it well because it, it was one of those funny times. During that Memorial Cup, my wisdom teeth were coming in. So I was going in for surgery on the Tuesday after the Memorial Cup to get my wisdom teeth removed. And I remember being in such pain I didn't eat. I think I lost like 14 or 15 pounds that week. I think my coaches all wanted me to stay that way. But But it was one of those things. It was just one of those weird things. And, And you remember little things about that. And, you know, I had my wisdom teeth pulled and then... The draft was upcoming because the draft was earlier back then. And this was, uh, it was Mother's Day was the Memorial Cup final that year. And um, I had meeting with Quebec the week after and I had meeting with Philadelphia. I flew down to Philly and it was just like, you don't even get to really experience that moment till like after the fact and everything else was done that you really sit back and think about it and when people started talking about it, and it was really years later when you hear other people talking about that final and how good it was, that it really sinks in. Mm. How You mentioned years later that it sunk in. How long was it after that final that you were okay with people talking to you about it? <laughs> like we uh, are right now. <laughs> you know what? It Honestly, like, I think right after the final, it was hard to talk about mm-hmm. it and everything else, and there was really that time that went by. And I think it really became apparent the next year when I finally came back and started playing again, you kind of get some closure on it and you say, Hey, we get to start over again and let's get this going again. And, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was August and I got invited out to Calgary and we were out there for the world junior camp. And, uh, you know, you're out there and, you know, I remember a couple of the guys coming over and, you know, the four goalies at world junior camp that year were myself Felix Potvan, Trevor Kidd, and Marty Brodeur. So it's funny because... Who got sent home first? Uh, Marty Brodeur, believe it or not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it was basically Trevor Kidd was the incumbent. He was going to be the starting goalie. And, you know, basically Felix and I battled out for the second spot there. And, uh, you know, we, we both played two exhibition games. Uh, I think I gave up one goal and he gave up two. And they picked him and, you know, it is what it is. And But, uh, you know... Felix went on to have a great career and was a great goaltender. And, and uh, you know, Marty was pretty good too, I think. Uh, <laughs> and Trevor Kidd, was also, yeah. Trevor Kidd was also a very good goaltender. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was one of those things where, you know, we sat in the room and uh, Felix was my roommate and Marty and Trevor Kidd were roommates on the other side. But we had joining rooms and we are in, uh, this was at the Christmas camp and we are in Kindersley, Saskatchewan. And in the middle of absolute nowhere. So we got to know the guys and we were hanging out one night and we were actually sitting there chatting about the Memorial Cup final and they remember talking about it. And then they were asking me questions. like, And and that was really the first time I'd really talked about it and went from there. There is uh, an enduring image, at least for me, of you from that final after it was done. Your mask is up on your head, you're leaning over the bench and there's Joe McDonnell, of course the rest of your teammates. But... You and Joe Mack had a special relationship. Tell me about that. You know what? I think it was uh, one of those things that was built out of respect for one another, and he knew when it came game time that I would be there and do whatever I could to win the game or whatever, to play the game as hard as I could. And uh, I remember my first year, I'll go back to my first year here in Kitchener, Gus Morshauser, my partner, had a, was off to an unbelievable start. and Best goalie in Ranger history. Yeah, <laughs> very, very good goalie. Um, he was off to a great start. Ended up making the World Junior Team that year. And uh, uh, we were about November, and I was talking to my dad, and I was frustrated because I wasn't getting any playing time. And, um, you know, my dad came up, and we met with Joe, and Joe just said, you know what? We know you're going to be here. We want you here. He goes, but, you know, it, this is this is part of what the growing process. He goes, you're going to get your chance, and when you get your chance, you have to take it. And, uh, you know, I, I was really close to going home that first year and, and, you know, kind of talked to my dad and Joe and kind of talked me out of it and kind of battled through some things that year. But, you know, 
and he, he was a man to his word. And we came up to that year and uh, Gus Morshauser gets invited to the World Juniors and it's Christmas time. So I think I have four or five games played at Christmas time. And, uh, you know, season's almost half over by then. And uh, we're doing our Eastern swing. So we're going through Belleville, Ottawa, or actually was we'd already played Belleville. It was Kingston, Ottawa, Cornwall. So we're doing our Western swing, and right before Christmas, and our last game's in Cornwall, and Joe comes up to me. I just played all three games, and he goes, this is your opportunity. you got to take it. I said, okay. So I came back after Christmas and um, played really well, had some great games, and uh, I ended up playing 30 games my rookie year, <laughs> and I'd only played five until Christmas. So he was a man to his word, and he said, you earn your spot, you will get a chance to play. And he did, and I respected that and have the utmost respect for Joe McDonnell. Just going back to that final in Hamilton, you mentioned that it took a while to talk about it, but and it, how it was just another game. But was there ever a moment where you, you took you know two seconds out of that game and just kind of looked around and realized what you're, you know, this is a big moment, this yeah. is what I'm going through, yeah? It was after the uh, first overtime period. We were sitting in the dressing room, and... <laughs> I remember looking across to Richard Borgo, and uh, he kind of looked at me, and he goes, I won't say the word he used, but <laughs> he goes, holy, he goes, I'm tired. He goes, I need a drink. <laughs> and I started laughing. <laughs> and we kind of, you kind of get lost in that moment, and, and we just kind of looked at each other, chuckled, and, you know, we went through it. But uh, uh, honestly, that was the first time you really sat back. It, it was such one of those games that just kind of, it just seemed to go on forever. And, you know, there's so many moments in the game that could have ended the game and both teams going both ways. And it, it, it was one of those, uh, it's one of those things where you look back at it now and you see it, but in the moment you just kind of play the game. Okay, here's what we're doing. This is what we got to do. And, you know, I don't even remember what Joe said in between periods because there wasn't anything to say. It was like, let's keep going. Let's keep battling. Let's keep doing the things we're doing. So it was, uh, it, it, it just one of those moments where it just kept going. How good was Eric Lindros? Eric was a man playing with boys, and he was the youngest one out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I remember uh, when we were kids, Eric was well, my teammate in minor peewee, peewee, and then uh, they changed the age groups. So Drake and I moved up a year, so we played up a year, and Eric stayed with his own, stayed with that age group. But... Uh, I remember being taller than Eric all the time. Then all of a sudden he went to play junior B and he's like six inches taller than me. And I'm like, what the hell happened here? But uh, uh, honestly, he was uh, unbelievable talent. Just a big man who could skate, who basically he was going to beat you one way or another, whether he'd run you over or whether he'd make a pass, whether he'd take a shot. It was, he had all the tools. He was... I arguably Mario Lemieux was the first five tool player, but he never played physical. But Eric Lindros was probably the first five tool player that was out there. It was size, strength, skating, shooting, uh, vision had had it all, and uh, he he kind of revolutionized the game. And obviously, the game's going in a different direction now with uh, size and or size not being as important as it is unless you're a goalie. Um, you could play the game now as long as you have speed and skill and uh, the game's changed uh, the way the referees call the game has changed the game dramatically you mentioned the game changing you think you could still hack it no no why it's a totally different game now i was you know i i look at i'll use my kid as an example my kid's a way better goalie than i ever was uh, you know, but he's he's probably the same size as me. He's probably about five eleven, and he's considered a small goalie. He's athletic. He's uh, he's got all the tools to be a very good goalie. But he's small by goalie standards. Um, I'd be a small goalie in this day and age. Uh, my biggest asset was my ability to read the play and understand the way the game was played. And and uh, you know, it, it's tough now. The game's so fast and uh, so many. Uh, so many intricacies to the game now. Like, everyone plays the game at such a high speed. Could I play the game? Uh, I probably have to get in shape to play the game now. So <laughs> it might be difficult. But, no, it, it, it's a totally different game than what we got to play. Um, you know, it, it, 
I'll, I'll use the example I showed my kids. Uh, my kids asked me to see my first NHL game, so I popped it in the old VCR and uh, showed them. <laughs> <laughs> I showed them the first game, and Nathan's like, "How come that's not a penalty?" I go, "Because you're allowed to." Ski on guys. You were allowed to <laughs> hook them and hold on to them. He goes, that's a penalty all day and all night. And I go, yeah, the game's yeah. changed a bit. And I think that's the biggest change to the game is the way it's called and how much it's opened up. And I think that's has a little bit to do with the amount of head injuries you're seeing as well. Did he ask why you two-pad stack too? <laughs> <laughs> Where all your equipment was? <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. When you look at the equipment now, I, I, I don't know if I could move in the equipment yeah. they wear now, but it's so light. He, I, I put one of my pads up against his two pads, and my one pad weighed more than his two pads combined. So it's yeah, the game's been revolutionized, but the equipment's ten times better for the goalies now. And you know they have they have an un, uh, I'm not going to say an unfair advantage, but a definite advantage over the goalies that played years ago. Nathan is uh, property of the Oshawa Generals in the O. How's he doing? He's doing great. He's um, you know, he's getting a chance to get up there and practice with them and be around the guys. And uh, he was actually uh, on the bench for the home opener against the London Knights and everything else. But, uh, you know, they want him to play, and uh, he's getting an opportunity to do that. He's playing Tier 2 in uh, Stouffville. He's going up and down there. But uh, he's leading the league in minutes played, games, saves. He's facing a ton of rubber once again. So he's, he's getting a chance to play, and uh, he's playing well. So I'm proud of him. And what about the youngest one? Also oh, a goal, isn't he? All he ever does Andrew? is smile, that yeah. kid. Yeah. Well, where's he got that <laughs> Not from? Not to take, th- take anything away from Nate. That's true. It's a, it's a family trait, I think. Uh, he's great. He's uh, he's totally different than Nathan. He's just starting out. Uh, he's playing in Waterloo this year, so he's minor Adam. He's playing uh, he's playing goal up there, and he loves it. And uh, he's about as unorthodox as they come. But he's one of those guys. He'll he'll do anything to try to stop a puck. He'll throw his head in front of it. He'll do whatever it has to do. But uh, definitely still a lot of work to do with him. <laughs> <laughs> couple but, of, uh, he's, he's great. A goalie allowing both sons to be a goalie. Right? What's, what's going on with chips that? Off hey, the block there. Tell me this. <laughs> My wife cringes every time, but I tried talking both of them out of yeah. it. And they, <laughs> Don't do it. And Don't neither do it. listened to me. It's in the DNA, Torch. It's it, in the DNA. They didn't I, listen to me. I got one more. Are we, are we about to wrap up or do we have time? We always have time. Okay, this good. is a podcast. Perfect. Yeah. Best player you played against at each level you played at. Obviously, you don't have to name every league, but each each level you played at. Well, when you really look at it, you could, uh, there's so many guys out there. Um, probably minor hockey, there was a, a kid who played for the Young Nats at the time. His name was Todd Simon, uh, who absolutely, he went on to play with Niagara Falls and had a pretty good career. Went and played in Buffalo, but in minor hockey, he was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, you know, he, he's a name that comes to mind. Uh, uh, Chris Draper was another guy that come, came to mind from our days in Toronto. And uh, probably another guy was, um, who, was, who went on to have a pretty good career himself uh, growing up. You know, you think of all the guys growing up, but we had a guy named Jason Cerrone, who I played with, who played in Windsor and then went on and played in Winnipeg. Awesome players, and you got a chance to do that. But... Uh, in junior, there were so many guys at, mm-hmm. at that time. You know, when you think of the guys, and I got a chance to go to World Juniors and experience those camps, and you think of the guys that you're around, and, uh, you know, obviously you talk about Lindros. His name's one of the first ones to pop up in your head. But you look around the league that year, and um, getting a chance to play against uh, a guy like Brian Fogarty that year, and it was a year he set the re- the records for most points by a defenseman and broke Bobby Orr's record. Watching him play out there was unbelievable how good he was and how he could dominate a game from the back end and just how good he was out there. And then, you know, when you talk about pro, you know, you, I got a chance to play. Sit in games and watch Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux play and uh, Chris Chelios and Jeremy Roenick. So you look at all those guys and you sit there and you just kind of shake your head and you realize it. But probably the best guy I played with and he was just so effortless was Mike Medano in Dallas. And he was just unbelievable. We'd be remiss. I know busy with your kids and watching them and and being a dad, being a hockey dad, but 
you're still a local boy. You live in the region of Waterloo. We've got a long history together yeah. with the Kitchener Rangers <laughs> broadcasting you as the player. Uh, tough weekend for the Rangers. A, a loss to those nasty London Knights kind of set them on the losing weekend for the first time this season. But uh, what's your take of this year's edition of the Kitchener Rangers? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, do you want my take, or do you want my take on what Ranger Nation is panicking over? <laughs> uh, yeah, I my take is I I really like the team and the way they're built. Uh, obviously, they need uh, Dumont Bouchard to stay healthy, and they need him back. Uh, he and it, for no other reason, he's really shown the ability to kind of be a calming influence back there. You know, there's not a lot of panic in his game. He makes the saves he has to make, and it's not a knock on Richie, but. Uh, you know, the, the way Dumont Bouchard has played, you want that calming influence back there, especially the time now when you're in a little bit of a funk. Um, like the forwards, I uh, love Logan Stanley back there in Connor Hall. A um, uh, little disappointed that I saw Doug Blaisdell go. I thought he was going to be a key factor this year for them. But when you're able to pick up a guy like Cole Sherwood, and, and you know, you got to take your time and let this guy develop and get some chemistry with the guys he's playing with, but... Cole Sherwood's a heck of a player, and he's going to be a pretty good player here with the Rangers. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to take a little, to, or you have to give a little to, to get a little, and uh, the Rangers were able to get Cole Sherwood. Yeah, does it hurt him a little bit on the back end? I think they're a little young back there. With When you get past uh, Stanley and uh, Hall, really, you look at it, Gentles and Peterson are both in their second year, and so is Vladi. I think Vladi's a heck of a player. I think Grayson Ladd's going to be a fantastic player. Uh you know, Jack York has shown that he has the ability to play in this league. But you know what? Those guys all need time and time to develop. So they don't have that veteran presence on the back end. And I think once you get past Stanley and Hall, it's a little thin back there in that respect. But, you know, I really like the way the team's built. I think um, the future is good for them uh, when you really look at the forwards and everything else. But, you know, you, you want to see certain guys do more. You want to see... You know, and I thought Morales had a good weekend this weekend, but you want to see him step up and be the player we've seen and uh, shown, he's shown glimpses of. Uh, Nick McHugh's got to get back to that consistency and playing the way he can. I think Dan Manny's, uh, you know, I, I couldn't say enough good things about that kid. And, you know, same with Joey Greffa. You know, those guys, they give you everything they have on a on a nightly basis. Uh, but, you know, you, you need guys to step up and be big players. And, you know, you've seen Connor Bunneman come around now. You know, you need Mash to continue scoring. You know, he's got six, I think, so far, or six or seven. But uh, those guys are going to have to carry you, and they're going to have to be big for you. And, uh, you know, the Rangers just have to keep doing what they're doing right now and keep progressing. I think this uh, Western Conference is wide open this year. But I think a lot of people got really angry this week because they lost to the 1-8 in eight London Knights. Those London Knights aren't going to be 1-8. in eight. I guarantee you they're going to be... 20 and 10 very soon. So, uh, you know, you add Joseph Raymakers, you add Ferment, and you add Militich back into the lineup, and, and you're getting Max Jones at his best, uh, you know, being the poop disturber he is out there. Uh, you know, that London Knights team is going to get better. You know, where are they lacking on defense? Will Victor Mete be back? Well, if Montreal keeps playing the way they are, do you <laughs> want him in that atmosphere up there? I bet you Mete's back. He may be back mm-hmm. with the London Knights simply because you can't afford to keep a young kid in that atmosphere right there in Montreal with the pressure that's there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Victor Mete's back in the London Knights uniform very soon. Then all of a sudden they're talk to win the conference. No. <laughs> right? They're never really out of yeah, that conversation well, too yeah, far. Good point. Nah, but you know what? There's still some very good teams in this conference is, you know, what's Owen Sound going to do come deadline time? Are they going to go pick up a goalie? I, I don't like their goaltending right now, but they definitely have a f- probably the most potent offense and most potent team in the Western Conference. So, you know, you look out for them, and, you know, then there's the Peterborough Peets in the East who are playing pretty good hockey too. So there's some good teams out there, and, you know, you, if you're the Rangers, uh, is this your year or isn't it your year? You have to take that and... Uh, Say, do we go all in? Do we do what we have to do? Or uh, do we kind of sit back as the Rangers have in the last few years and uh, wait? But uh, right now, I think this Western Conference is wide open uh, because of the way it's built. And if the Rangers have an opportunity to add, I think they should. Mike McKenzie, is he, he's paying attention to this, right? Well, of course yeah. he is. Don't, <laughs> the, the moves to get Stanley and Sherwood say that they're not sitting back this year, right? 
you know what? I think people underestimate Mike McKenzie's hockey mind. I think uh, I think he's one of those guys who's really, really intelligent. And, uh, you know, talk about a student of the game. Uh, I remember him talking to me about certain guys on my son's minor midget team when he was helping out uh, Murray as a GM. And he was bang on, like just from watching. He, he really understood the game well and you could see the game well. And I think he's one of those guys who's going to have a really bright future in this game as in, in the front office somewhere. I want this to go on forever. Uh, I got about like 30 other questions know, that I'm right? just ready to... Torch, when can we get you back for the sequel? Tell me more yeah, stories. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime. Here, here's, let's see how sharp his memory is. You've been away from the game for a little while. Jeremy Brocco's first game in a Kitchener Rangers uniform. Peter what Burrow? happened? Yeah. Okay. What happened? Yeah. Uh, four points that night, I believe it was. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> Him and McKinnis seem to have that instant chemistry. That's what happened, all right. <laughs> I remember it, too. Uh, but I think not it was like four that. points. It was. I think it was two had... goals, two assists. Yeah. And night. I think Mac had all four goals. Did he not that Mac night? had four. Yeah. But... Yeah, because they went back the next year and put a spanking on the pizza again, and Brocco had another four points. Yeah, yeah. You did your research. He just remembers. No, I remember. Bro- <laughs> no. Well, I remember him always talking about that story, me being flabbergasted that he could remember that. And it was the next year, and I was doing the game, and I went down and interviewed Jeremy Brocko, and he brought up that oh yeah, story where I made my OHL debut. I had four points that night too. So then I remember that. With no disrespect intended to uh, George Burnett and other guests that have been on the Farwell and Pope podcast so far. Uh, we just set the bar pretty high. Story time. This would be a good time to remind sponsors that your sponsorship <laughs> opportunity is available yeah. here. Email Mike at 570news.com. Uh, Torchy, it's great for you to come in and do this and to see you, and uh, we're going to do a sequel. Absolutely, anytime. I got, I got to say one thing about Mike Torchy, whether you know him or not, in the media room every single time, when he was doing games with the Rangers and I was on the TV side, there was not a former NHLer or a former pro that walked in that room. It's true. He never got any work done. Without like, smacking yeah. Torch on the head or without giving him a hug. The very first word out of their mouth, Torchy! Yeah. And it was always a mad embrace, and then they got right into talking about who was hot in the league or what young kid was coming up. And it was uh, it, it's a testament to what kind of guy that you really are. Oh, I appreciate that, but why do you have to do work when you remember everything? That's like- <laughs> I have to do a lot of work. So do I. So do I. Best of the family, Torch. Thanks for doing well, thank this. Thank you for having me, guys. Mike? Torquia. How awesome is that? Like, I, I, I know it's a podcast and we have time. We can go as long as we want. But I really don't know if this website would host as much time as I would like to speak with him. I didn't want to end. I, I could just sit there and talk to him forever. We're going to do a sequel. Like, there's so many questions I have left to just, I love that he just blew over that he had dinner with Gretzky. Like, whatever. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, because Robert, Robert Shapiro was there. Like, just blows over the Gretzky part. How about the Janet Jones part? Right? Yeah. Oh. He is, honestly, I've said to anybody, I'll never forget. So Torch and I, and I'm going to tell this quick story. uh, We did five years of TV together with Rogers calling Kitchener Rangers games. And then we parted ways when I moved over to work with Don Cameron on the radio and et cetera, et cetera. And I hadn't seen Torch in years. Okay. I hadn't seen him in years. And his oldest son, Nathan, who we just talked about too with Torch, uh, was with the Waterloo Wolves. And I saw, anyway, long story short, I saw Torch after a game. And he gave me a legitimate, full-on bear hug. Like, Farzy, long time. He picks me up and he squeezes me. That's Mike Torquia. Mm-hmm. And, and when, you, when you listen to him tell the stories he just told, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's quite something to think of this guy that's gone through the professional life he's gone through. And we'll spend that kind of time with us. He, that really is... Mike Torkey, like I, I talked about how, you know, there wasn't an NHL or a former pro or a guy that knew him that walked in and wasn't happy to see him. There wasn't right. those guys, like myself included. There are people that I've met in life that I'm sure would walk in, see it's me, maybe not want to talk to me, or look at me, hey, how are you, and move on. Every single person grabbed him by the shoulder, slapped him on the head, tickled him, whatever it was, they were happy to see Mike Torkey. And I think I speak for you that we were just ha- just as happy to see him too. Like he's just one of those guys that you, you hear his soft voice. You look at you look at him. You look at his picture from playing, and you picture this deep voice or you know this rowdy guy. And that it's not Torch. He's just this quiet guy, just watching hockey. It's Mike Torch. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. We recorded this on a actually rather rainy night here in late October, uh, and the studio is darkened. Uh, and it was just like hanging out, mm-hmm. right? And I honestly wish, like, I, it could still have gone on and on and on. I, I, thir- I hope, I hope you as a listener enjoyed that as much as we did, as 
pseudo interviewers on that. I just said you we were setting the bar high. We should have came in low. Did I mention yet your sponsorship advertisement <laughs> could go here? Email Mike at five seventy news dot com. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. I should we should say I appreciate uh, if Always. you have any tips or pointers uh, that you're, you're liking or not liking, send them to Mike at five seventy news dot com. <laughs> How did this happen? Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, it is at Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope. I'm Farwell. I'm Pope, and that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.